By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Now, for the record, the authority question, it's a good question. We should be asking it more often, but we need to be asking it honestly and sincerely. So what's authoritative? What's our moral compass? What is right? What is wrong? What shall I do? What's the purpose of life? Fundamental questions you should be asking, but the determinative answer is always going to rely on what is authoritative. And so we will look at authority today. Three aspects of authority. Three questions. First, what is authoritative in your personal life? And here we're talking day to day, how you do with your family, basic stuff. Second question, what's authoritative when it comes to religion? What's the truth? And we'll save the least controversial question for last. What is authoritative in the public sphere? We're talking about government and politics. You know, least controversial. Make everybody feel happy as we're going out. Jesus was not scared talking about the public sphere. He called Herod a fox. And so we shouldn't be scared either. So that's how we'll end. But first, what is authoritative in your personal life? listening to a podcast this week, Joe Rogan, pretty prominent guy. And he was talking to some fellow about how hard it is being a human being. No argument here, I agree. But he was saying, the reason it's hard is because we don't have a manual for human life. It's like car mechanics, they've got it easy. Rip open that manual, and you can tell how to rip that car apart and assemble the entire thing back together. But humans, Joe said, we don't have a manual. And I'm yelling through my earphones, Joe, we have the Bible! Well, he didn't hear me, but I do have this pulpit. We do have the Bible. But ironically and tragically, in Matthew 21, it's the very people who have the Bible who don't know what it's all about. It's the priests who year after year after year sacrificed the Passover lamb They don't recognize the Lamb of God standing right in front of them. It's the elders, the ones who have authority over the people, who don't recognize the authority that Jesus Christ has in himself because he is the Son of God. It's the people who have the Bible, the people who have the prophets, who don't recognize that Jesus is fulfilling every single prophecy. And so what does it mean for you? Well, it's a warning because we have the Bible, It's the best-selling book of all time. I also read this week it's the most stolen book of all time. Might be worth a comment. It's a real classic. But here, we have to use Mark Twain's definition of a classic. Something that everybody wants to have read, but nobody wants to read. That's what the Bible is. It's a classic. The problem is not lack of access. We have Bibles everywhere. You can pull it up on your phone, for heaven's sake. Bibles and hospitals and hotel rooms everywhere. And so what the devil does 
is he convinces us to keep the book closed. And he does this in a myriad of ways. One thing he does is he tries to convince you that it's too hard to understand, it's too complex, it's too complicated. So he says, don't even bother. Well, this is rubbish, okay? The Bible is plain. Now, if we're not used to reading, if we're not used to hearing things, yeah, we need to be trained in that by the power of the Holy Spirit. We will, and God willing, that will happen. But it is simple to understand. The next thing the Bible does, and this is more, the devil does, and this is more sinister, is he tries to convince us that words actually don't have meaning in themselves. Now, this is kind of philosophical if you're familiar with the guy Derrida. It's really, it's really stupid because he wrote a ton of books trying to convince us that words don't have meaning. Well, how did he try to convince us that words don't have meaning? By using words. So it's just silly on the face. Now, you're probably not convinced by that. Good. But the third thing the devil does, and this is probably the temptation that you run into, is he tries to convince you that other things are more important. You don't have time. The saying used to be, don't let the book of the month get in the way of the eternal book. That's true, I like that. But now more has to be said. Don't let the screens get in the way of the eternal book. Don't let the sports, don't let the kids' activities, don't let your sinful habits, don't let the porn, don't let the gambling, it's everywhere, get in the way of the eternal book. Don't let your business, and quite frankly, don't let your laziness get in the way of the word of God. We are so quick to ask God this question, who gave you this authority over my life? But my friends, when's the last time you asked your phone, who gave you the authority to dominate 10 hours of my life? When's the last time you asked your beer? Who gave you the authority to dominate my life and my relationships? When's the last time you asked your temper? Who gave you the authority to make me so angry all the time, to make me to lose my self-control? When's the last time you asked your Saturday night social club? Who gave you the authority to keep me out till 3 a.m. on a Sunday morning so that I slept in and missed gathering with all the saints? We have all these things that have authority over our lives, and they have no business doing so. And start asking them the questions, who gave you the authority? It is time to return to the Word of God. And so repent. And make that the sole authority in your life. I promise you one thing. When you're steeped in the Word, you're less anxious about eternal things because the Bible answers all of these fundamental questions we have. I mean, what shall I do? What's right? What's wrong? Well, the Bible tells us quite clearly the Ten Commandments. It tells us what the problem is with the world. That's why the world is running around like a chicken with its head cut off, because they don't know the problem. Well, we know the problem. It's one word. It's sin. And then the Bible tells us what the solution is, how we are saved from that, and that is through the death and blood of Jesus. And then the Bible tells us how to live a good Christian life. Now, that is a lot of promise in just one book. So the question is, why is the dust still there? Second question, what's authoritative when it comes to religion? What's the truth? Now this is what the priests and the elders are really asking today when they ask Jesus, by what authority do you do these things? And we might add, for good reason, because after all, in Matthew 21, a man 
just marched them to Jerusalem like he owns the place. Actually, he rides a donkey, which is quite a significant moment because that is exactly what Solomon, the son of David, rides before he is made king. And what's more is the people took off their cloaks and they put it on the ground for Jesus to walk on. That only happened one time in the entire Old Testament. It's quite the story. It's this guy named Jehu. The people take off their cloaks. Jehu walks on their cloaks. And then Jehu was anointed king of Israel. And then what does Jehu do? Man, that guy was violent. He kills King Ahab, he kills Queen Jezebel, and he kills all of their followers. <laughs> Jesus walks on cloaks, and what does he do? He goes to the temple, and he starts tossing around tables and chairs like the basketball coach Bob Knight. And when a guy does stuff like that, it is an absolutely appropriate thing to ask, Who are you? By what authority are you doing these things? Problem is that they're not sincere. They don't really want to know the answer to the question. You see, I kind of like dealing with sincere unbelievers. I like dealing with sincere atheists. The insincere, not so much, but the sincere, well, it's fun because if they are actually wanting to know what the truth is, if they actually want to know what the purpose of life is, it doesn't matter how long it'll take. I mean, it might be an hour, it might be a day, it might be a year, it might be a thousand years. By the way, as Christians, we can afford to be patient because we are eternal creatures. That's fine. But eventually, that person will hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, they will believe. But the elders and the priests, they've committed the sin against the Holy Spirit. They're not sincere. They don't really care. And so, seeing his opportunity, Jesus says, let's play a game. This is what it means to be as wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. By the way, what that means is, be as wise as the devil, the serpent, and be as innocent as the Holy Spirit, which is the dove. So he says, okay, you answer my question, then I'll answer yours. That's fair. The baptism of John from heaven or from man. Quick sidebar. This is still the question. Especially when it comes to our Lutheran understanding of baptism. Of why we baptize infants. Still the question. Is baptism from heaven? Is it something that God does? Or is it from man? Is it something that we do? The answer is it's from heaven. It's something that God does. So it makes absolutely the most sense in the world that we would baptize babies. Because that's what God does. But... In regards to why Jesus asks this question now, when they are challenging his authority, the reason is because Jesus was baptized by John. And when John baptized Jesus, what happened? The heavens were opened. The heavens. And a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Another way of saying that is, I'm giving this guy authority. Because from that moment on, Jesus teaches and preaches, not as one of the scribes, but as one who has authority. They bring a paralytic to him, and Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And the people say, Who is this guy? 
And then Jesus says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. I say, son, pick up your mat and go. And then Jesus gives authority to the twelve apostles over the demons and sickness and the unclean spirits. And all of this is leading up to Matthew chapter 28. After Jesus dies and comes back from the dead, he will say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, Jesus answers this authority question so many times in so many ways, and yet he refuses it to answer it in Matthew 21. Because if he answers it to them, that would be throwing pearls before swine. This is one of the most devastating verses in the entire Bible, I think. Because they say we don't know. What does Jesus say then? Neither will I tell you. That's the divine silent treatment. That's why it's so harsh to actually not hear from God. And my friends, make no mistake about it. You don't have the divine silent treatment today because God is speaking to you right now from this pulpit. So he's willing to answer the authority question. What's authoritative when it comes to religion? There is no God besides Jesus Christ. There is no other way to heaven other than Jesus. There is no other name by which we are saved under heaven or under earth than the name of Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the Word of God. And so he has authority. Now you can ask, well, why should we give him that authority? Here's the deal. This is the game. And I think we can all agree with this. If somebody dies on a cross and then comes back from the dead three days later, that guy wins. Game over. He gets to be the king. Which is a nice segue now to the third question. And that is, what is authoritative when it comes to the public sphere? Now, you might be okay with the word of God. By the way, when I use that phrase, I mean the written word of God, it's the Bible, and also the incarnate word of God, that would be Jesus, the word made flesh. So you might be okay with the word of God being authoritative in your own personal lives, and you're probably okay, and you're not scandalized by me saying that the word of God is authoritative in church when it comes to religion. But then when it comes to politics, we just throw the Bible away. And why? Why do we do that? Is Jesus only the Lord of, of my body, only this space right here? Is Jesus only the Lord of, of this sanctuary? And as soon as we walk out the doors, he ceases to be the Lord? Absolutely not. He is the Lord of all. Which means he is the Lord of the nations. This iron curtain between church and state that we've put up is quite sinful. Now, we can use the phrase separation of church and state. It's not, it doesn't mean what we think it means anymore. What it rightly means is that the bishop, the pastor, he doesn't have the right to pass civil laws. That's good. I like that. Okay? And the governor can't come into the pulpit and preach. And uh, that would be disastrous anyways. That's what it means. But what we mean today when we use that phrase separation of church and state is a separation of God from state or a separation of morality from state. I just got to ask, how's that working for us? Our country has problems. Everybody knows it. 
You don't have to be on a particular political aisle to know that. Whether it's literal gold bars and hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash on a senator's suit jacket, allegedly, or it's the legally sanctioned murdering of innocent children year after year, or it's our basic denial of facts. We are sick. We have a cancer. And we have to identify what the problem is. And there's lots of answers out here, but this is the answer. The reason why we are sick is because we have gotten rid of the authority of the Bible in the public realm. That's why. And because we've done that, we don't know what truth is anymore. We don't know what's right or wrong. We don't know what a man or a woman is. In fact, we can't, some people are even saying that we can't know if we actually know anything. And how do we combat that? Well, I suggest taking a page out of Jesus' playbook. Just ask them a question when they say, we can't know anything. Ask them, well, how do you know that we can't know anything? And when their eyes are finally opened and they realize the chaos and the demons that we're playing with when we have all of this challenge to all sorts of authority and claim that we can't actually know anything, we're going to be right here because we are anchored to Jesus, which means we're not going anywhere. And when their eyes are finally opened and they see the cliff they are going off of, going 120 miles an hour and the brakes have been cut, we're still going to be preaching to them. And you know what we're going to say? We're going to say Jesus knows. He knows everything. He knows that you've been blaspheming him. He knows about the trips to Epstein's Island. He knows about the evil in every single one of your hearts. And guess what? He died for you anyways. And so repent and come to Jesus Christ. That is the only way. Start believing in absolute truth. Because here is the absolute truth. Jesus Christ died for sinners. Of whom I am the worst. And if Jesus' blood is good enough for me, I've got it on pretty good authority, that it's good enough for you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you always.